Podcast Answer Man, episode number 415. Entertaining, educational, and encouraging content that makes a difference. This is GSPN.TV. Join the community. Hi, this is Leo Laporte of This Week in Tech, and you're listening, (laughs) you're smart, to Cliff Ravenscraft. He is the Podcast Answer Man. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Podcast Answer Man. My name is Cliff Ravenscraft, and this, my friends, is the podcast devoted to helping you take your message, your business, and your life to the next level. That's right, my friends. It does not matter if you are brand new to this online content creating world we live in or if you've been creating content for many years, there's something we can all do to take everything we do in life to the next level. That's right, my friends, and today's podcast is a special episode of Podcast Answer Man. In fact, I'm recording it early, or actually, I'm not only recording it early, but even releasing it early. Many of you know, have been following me lately. I've moved to a Monday release schedule, but I am releasing this one early. And the reason why I'm releasing this on Saturday, August 8th is because I wanted to get one final reminder out to you that my next session of podcasting A to Z is starting this Monday. As I'm recording this right now, I still have five spots available. So I expect that those will fill up. If you are thinking about launching that podcast, then now is the time to get in. Head over to podcastinga2z.com. And Here's the deal, right at this very minute, some of you might be thinking, eh, I'm still not ready yet. I still have so many things to kind of figure out. I got I still haven't nailed down my branding, which by the way, that's the whole first week of the course. I help you find your topic, your niche focus. I help you completely eliminate the learning curve of what to do when it comes to your branding, all these other things. But some of you are thinking, well, I haven't really thought about who my target audience is. We cover that. I haven't really done this yet. I haven't done that yet. And what I hope is that when you hear the story that's going to come from this interview with my great friend, Greg Willits, today, I hope that it's going to inspire some of you to get off the fence. Some of you have been sitting up on that fence. You've been there for months. You've been there. Some of you, I know you've been there for years, and you know who I'm talking about. I'm talking to you, right? So here's the deal. I hope that today's podcast interview will show you that oftentimes, Things don't start taking off. Things don't start to go in any direction until you've actually finally produced that first episode. And sometimes you might even have your first, I don't know, let's say nine or ten episodes and really have no idea what direction the show is going to go. And yet it could still lead to amazing things that you never would have anticipated. Launching that podcast, getting it started, just get going is oftentimes the best thing that you can do to help you find the direction that you're going. One of my favorite quotes from all time comes from a book called Rework by Jason Fried. Long-time listeners, bear with me. I'm going to read it again. And as a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure that most of you will love hearing it again. You just love being reminded of this. And it's called The Myth of the Overnight Sensation. This is from Jason Fried in his book Rework. He wrote this. He says, you will not be a big hit right away. You will not get rich quick. You are not so special that everyone else will instantly pay attention. No one cares about you, at least not yet. Get used to it. 
You know those overnight success stories that you've heard about? It's not the whole story. Dig deeper and you'll usually find people who have busted their butts for years to get into the position where things could take off. And on the rare occasion that instant success does come along, it usually doesn't last. There's no foundation there to support it. Trade the dream of overnight success for slow, measured growth. It's hard, but you have to be patient. You have to grind it out. You have to do it for a long time before the right people notice. And when I read that in Rework the first time, it just, like, my heart leapt for joy that somebody just wrote those words because that's my me- that's one of my messages. Slow, measured growth, grinding it out, doing the right things, building the right relationships, it doesn't happen overnight. And I have experienced it in my own life. I love telling my own story of starting out as a podcast about Lost as a hobby, how my life was overtaken with this passion for podcasting, but not just for the technology and putting my voice out into the world, but the interaction and the and the influence and impact it was having on people's lives and how one day, you know, I found myself consumed so much that literally every moment of waking moment of my life was either work or podcasting and and things related to building a community around it and 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 how I did that for years and then it wasn't until after a few years that finally uh, I I decided to make a go at it as a, a as a career and then how I had that slow measured growth I knew my own story but here's the thing over the years I am privileged to have worked with literally thousands of people and I know people who have stories that are just like mine that are more along the lines of what the average person launching a podcast today can expect to see happen in their life. Slow, measured growth. Not these overnight, uh, six months ago, nobody knew me online, but today I make six, seven figures. That that does not happen to everyone. But the kind of stories that I have seen over and over and over again are repeatable. And oftentimes, there's no formula outside of literally launching something, getting out there consistently, building a deep relationship with your audience. If you didn't listen to episode 414 last week, go back and listen to it, take it to heart, because when you do those things, the kind of stories that I want to bring to you guys and start telling you, these are the kind of things that I believe could happen for most everyone hearing my voice today. And today, I'm going to be talking to Greg Willits. Greg is a great friend of mine now, and I've been following his journey for 10 years And I am so looking forward to sharing his story with you. Now, for those of you who have been waiting patiently for me to share with you about my jingle player on the iPad that I've switched over to, I know I've got to quit promising you guys what I'm going to cover in future episodes. I've told you guys for the last two weeks I was going to tell you about this jingle player for my iPad. I'm not going to tell you about it this week. I am going to do it again. I'm going to tell you it'll be next week. There's one of you, you you know who you are, you asked me a question via an email this week and I told you I'd put it the answer hopefully in episode 415. It's not going to be in episode 415. I've got it in my list of things to put into quote unquote my next episode and I'll try to get to that question in episode 416 next week. Bear with me guys, this, I, I, I literally, it, it, this was, I believe God inspired, I felt in my heart this interview has to take place. In fact, the interview that you're about ready to hear, it is one hour and 13 minutes. 
And so this week's episode is going to be almost a 90-minute episode, but I promise you this is a message that needs to get out. This is going to be the first of many people's stories that I hope to bring to you guys for inspiration of what you can realistically hope to achieve in your own podcasting journey. So without any further ado, I bring to you my interview with my great friend, Greg Willits. So, Greg, I wanted to have you on the show to talk about your podcasting journey, my friend. It's an interesting story that I've had an opportunity to watch over the years, and I'm very thankful to be one of your community members that has been able to develop a good relationship with you over the years and kind of wanted to share that with my audience. So if you don't mind, start off by telling me when did you first discover podcasting? Not, Not start one, but discover it. I discovered it, I think it was around March of 2005. And a, a guy I used to work with, it, sort of two things happened in the same week. A guy I used to work with asked me if I was familiar with it on the same week that I read someone on a um, an online forum asking the person who ran the forum, when, when are you going to start doing a podcast? And I had never heard of the word before. And so I think it was, it may have been the forum was the first time I ever heard the word podcast. And then this friend of mine asked me at the same, almost at the same time. And he started a podcast like two weeks later. And so did I. We started it like literally within a day or two of each other. And he was focusing on sports. And I thought I'd do one for our nonprofit. And uh, literally had no idea how big this community could possibly be. Even that there was a community there to, be, uh, to become involved in. So are you one of those individuals who started a podcast before actually listening to or subscribing to any other podcasts? I think I might have listened to one of Adam Curry's and there was this one other guy named Jason who did a podcast. I think I may have listened to those two. I said, oh, I, I got it. I understand. Nice. I understand what this is. And I had an old HP computer that I don't think it came with this microphone. I think it came with the microphone that was like this long stick with a thin little wire that went through it in a tiny little you know, what is a cartoid microphone at the very tip of it? It basically sounded like a tin can that yeah. you plugged into the computer. And I literally used that to record my first podcast was one of these just junky old tin can microphones. How'd you get that hooked up? Were you hooking that up to your computer? Yeah, it hooked up directly to the computer. I might have been using, um, was it Audible? Is that the free thing? Audacity. Audacity. I, I was using Audacity was the free uh, recording software and had never done the waveform things and looking at it, you know, popping up on the screen and, and then slowly figuring out. And back then, I don't know if it's changed, but back then you had to go and search out some sort of way of outputting from Audacity to an MP3. It, they couldn't include the MP3 output in that. I mean, this is how long ago it is. Is it still that way? I don't even know it's still that yeah, way. It is still that way. The MP3 encoder is something that they could not include due to licensing issues. So okay. they they still, today you have to download the open source software and then it gives you instructions on where you can go and get the uh, encoder. But of course, I always recommend my students do not use the encoder that they recommend because it is called the lame encoder. And, okay. I, and I think it's so funny that the acronym is lame because I actually say don't use it because it is lame. <laughs> it is a horrible encoder. But if anybody out there is going to download Audacity and you're going to use that as your editing software, what I recommend doing is exporting as a WAV file and using iTunes free software and bring that into your music library. You can go into your import settings and the preferences of iTunes 
and you can go to the CD import and you can actually change it from AAC encoder to MP3 encoder. Look for 128 kilobits per second. And then once you've changed those preferences, then in your music library, you can right click on the file. You can then say convert to MP3 and then it's actually using a really good MP3 encoder. See, where was Podcast Answer Man in March of 2005? Because it was like, it was literally like, okay, here's a cave. You've walked into a cave. Okay. And then I feel like I was almost typing text commands, go towards the you know, encoder. And I'm just like blindly looking around in a dark cave until I, you have found the encoder. And then that's how podcasting was in spring of 2005 before, I mean, this was even before Apple had added iTunes, excuse me, before iTunes had added podcasting to their entire program it wasn't even there if you wanted to subscribe to it i honestly i don't even remember how i got my first few podcasts on there there had to have manually inserted the rss feed uh somehow and i I, it was crazy in those early days yeah it was so tell us about this first podcast that you launched so the first podcast was called rosary army and my wife and i started a 501c3 nonprofit in 2003 so we'd been running that for about two years when heard about podcasting and we had a, a website, we had developed a little bit of a community over the course of a couple of years. We had an online forum that was actually really, um, we had a lot of participants, uh, at an early, early time. And so when podcasting came out, if you go listen to the first Rosary Army, which I leave it online as an exercise in humility, just so that I can go back and say, all right, I, I didn't always know what I was doing. It, you'll listen. And I say, okay, um, I don't know exactly how I'm going to be using this. I was thinking it was going to be more of a mechanism for reporting news that had to do with our nonprofit to the people who are already supporting the nonprofit. So again, I wasn't putting the word community on it, but it was I was trying to create a tool for our already existing community. And it literally started the first few podcasts was just me sort of trying to figure things out that same week because it's a it's a it has to do with Catholicism. That was around the same time that John Paul II died. And so we did a podcast. I did a podcast about that. My wife had not joined me on the show yet. And I think I did about seven or eight episodes. And I was working in the IT industry at the time, and I got laid off. And slowly in those weeks leading up to that, the po- and again, the podcasting world was morphing so quickly as people were experimenting. And you know, Adam Curry was doing podcasts from his car, which was revolutionary, right? Yep. And people were doing podcasts, you know, doing sound scene tours. And when I lost my job, I was ticked off. Uh, I was angry. I was frustrated. I was unsure of my future. And I just picked up my, my actually, I had like a second generation iPod with a microphone attachment and recorded directly into that thing as I was driving to go get Mexican food for my wife and I one night. And I just talked about how frustrating things were. And it, so it was a break away from the first few episodes where I was trying to interview people. I was trying to report on stuff. And then now I just kind of said, you know what, blah, and just kind of regurgitated all of my feelings from that time and put it online. And then my wife said, well, okay. And to this day, my wife has never listened to my first podcast, but she said, all right, I want to try this out before. So my wife recorded a podcast before she ever listened to a podcast. And so she just sort of kind of ranted. And then I put that online, just her by herself. And we put it all on that one feed. Well, the reaction that we got from people, I got laid off. I had to deal with that. Uh, You know, listening to you talk about losing your job and not sure the future just sounded like myself coming back at me. A lot of those kinds of reactions. And so that was the first podcast. And then my wife and I started podcasting together, I don't know, around episode 10, 11. 
And it took us a good 10 episodes or so to kind of figure out, okay, what, is, what are we doing? And probably one of the biggest things for us was around, I think it was at 17, 18, 19, uh, somewhere around there. And again, this is in early 2005. Um, my wife and I experienced a miscarriage. And it was, we had already had four kids and we had this miscarriage. And so, you know, we kind of thought that we were invulnerable and, you know, we're, we're the super procreating couple, you know, nothing will ever go wrong. And then when it did, it was just devastating. And we felt an obligation. I don't know why to share that with our audience. And, and it wasn't like, Hey, look at us or Hey, pity us. It was, you have been there along the journey with us as we found out that we were unexpectedly pregnant again. So we felt an obligation to share that. Well, it, that to me was when our community solidified for the first time. And we kind of realized it wasn't just us going out into the world talking to people, but the people who were listening really meant a tremendous amount back. And that was a valuable thing. It was a friendship, you know, and, and, and friendships are not one-sided. And we have become very dependent in every incarnation of podcasting or audio or media or video that we've ever done. We've been very dependent upon the feedback and the collaboration in some ways with our audience it's it, we, just one of the best things in the world for us that's awesome so before we move forward i, I want to just highlight a couple things uh, to point out especially for those who have not yet launched their podcast for whatever reason here's the thing that i love about your story already you started out you didn't know very much about the technology you kind of hobbled some gear together it sounded like a tin can i loved the first episode you didn't wait till it was perfect you had the software that you just had to hobble together and figure it out. You put the first couple episodes online and it's, I mean, literally, you're just talking to the world about saying, I'm trying to figure this out. The first few episodes are you just sharing your experience and trying to get this thing online and you have really no clear direction of what you want to accomplish with this. You just wanted to get something going. And then things start taking off when all of a sudden you have this real life situation and you get a little transparent and you know you get very authentic with your audience and just share your feelings about an obstacle or or some kind of struggle that you're having in life and when you get real with your audience all of a sudden your audience relates to you in a way that has never that, that in back in gosh back in 2005 really in in media overall Nobody's ever heard this kind of conversation before, this real stuff that they can connect to. And so that's when things start taking off for you. That, those are the kinds of things that I, I'm hearing already. And the exciting thing is, is I know where that, that beginning has taken you up through <laughs> to today. But the interesting thing is there's a lot of people who are listening to Podcast Answer Man who have no idea where we're going with the story, where, where your story has led. Yeah. And, and what I want, I want folks to listen to, the folks who do not know who Greg and Jennifer Willits are, I want you to think, how's that going to go anywhere? What I mean, why would he even bother? He starts out the first, you know, nine or so episodes is just playing around with the technology and talking about it and no clear direction, not the greatest equipment or sound in the world, but but he's just out there. And then he all of a sudden he just unloads on his audience about how frustrated he is and he puts his <laughs> wife on to rant about something and how could that ever lead to anything positive? I mean, you obviously have no clear planning, no business plan. I mean, this this could lead nowhere. <laughs> yeah. So, so what happens next? You so you move into a you move into a uh, this thing called the clawfish. When did that happen? Okay, so when I lost my job, I I was attempting to pick up some side work. I did a lot of web development. I used to work in the IT industry, and I didn't have anywhere in the house that was quiet that I could do that, and. 
I wasn't getting a regular job. And so I'm like, okay, let me see how much side work, how, how many contracts I can kind of cobble together. And I was doing a terrible job. This was, this was where I was trying to figure out basically trading my hours for dollars, right? And rather than creating a product, which is what I wish I had had these thoughts years ago to do this kind of thing. Um, and so I literally was like, I need a client. Can I bill you 40 hours? Great. All right. I had 40 hours of work. Well, I needed somewhere to do that work. And so out of desperation, I uh, cleared out part of our master bedroom closet, set up a desk, moved all the podcasting equipment in there. And also that's where I worked all day long. And so started just once a week was doing a podcast and I said, oh, okay, it's already time to do a podcast again and just doing this over time. And again, experimenting and doing things. We went to a conference and I, first time I interviewed a bunch of people and, and, you know, cobbled that together into a compilation of interviews. And then we started doing, you know, goofy little, not, I wouldn't even call them dramas. They're like audio comedy type things with the skits, basically audio skits with like a lot of sound effects. And that was a great learning experience for me, by the way. And I loved doing that because it was, it was creative it was kind of stupid, campy, goofy without being painful to listen to. Sort of like watching a Batman, you know, the old Adam West Batman. It's campy and it's ridiculous, but you still kind of want to watch it. That was kind of what I was going for, but in an audio form. So a lot of push, boom, you know, sounds of sound effects and that kind of thing. And I really enjoyed that. And that was a great exercise because I learned how to use the software better than ever. And just over time doing a lot of those kinds of things. And then you know, encouraging people to send voice feedback in. And, and then we were responding back and forth and it became more of a two-way uh, communication. And eventually I did end up getting uh, another job outside of the home. And by that time, our nonprofit was growing. The podcast audience started growing. And this is, you know, throughout 2005 and 2006. And then we started becoming friends with other podcasters, which is another big thing. So you have the community of listeners who listen to you and give you like direct feedback and you can respond back to them. But then becoming uh, part of a community with other people doing this and on a similar journey of trying to create things somewhat in the same vein as you was just hugely beneficial. And I, I would even say that some of these, you could call it our early mastermind groups, even though we would never have called it mastermind and we didn't have any sort of formal thing it was just sort of, we were all looking out for each other. So we're listening to each other's shows. We're saying, hey, that thing that you did, you were really overmodulated, or that bit, that bit didn't really work, or that part was hilarious. You, you should do more of that kind of stuff. And that was so beneficial to be surrounded by like-minded people. And one of those like-minded people is a mutual friend of yours and mine. And I know your audience has heard you talk about Father Roderick von Hogan uh, from the Netherlands. And Father Roderick and I started trading a lot of uh, emails back and forth. And then he started the idea of creating a network of shows and... I, you know, I, I'm in communication with him. I knew he listened to our show. We listened to his show and said, hey, we'd love to have our show a part of this new network that you're trying to start up. And so our show was the first uh, affiliate show to be added to SQPN, the StarQuest production network. And, and, that, and that's when I started listening, by the way. When, when it got added then? Yeah. And so again, just doing silly things. And I don't know if you remember Frapper Maps. Yep. That was a huge thing for people to go on and and go click on a map where you are. And then suddenly we had 100 people from around the world clicking this map. And so there was a visual component now. That's our community. Holy cow, people are listening all around the world. And I made a really stupid song. I think this is what got Father Roderick's attention. I, made a, I, I kind of vowed, I'm not the best guitarist. I'm not the best singer. I'm not the best piano player. Yet I can't help myself from playing piano and guitar and singing. <laughs> and so I'll, I'll kind of throw that on people. But I said to myself early in podcasting, I'm not going to use this as an avenue of you know playing my music, well, I couldn't help it, and I wrote a stupid frapper map song, 
I had this goal of like working in the names of every single one of those first hundred people that had pinned themselves on, on our frapper map. And Father Roderick played it. A bunch of other podcasts ended up playing that stupid clip of me singing this song. And again, just the spotlighting the importance of the community uh, time and again. But working with Father Roderick, um, he didn't have any business experience. My wife and I, we did. And eventually, we joined forces together and officially incorporated SQPN as a nonprofit as well. So suddenly, I have a full-time job. We're doing two nonprofits, trying to do a podcast. Eventually, we started doing the podcast twice a week because we were getting so much voice feedback. And at that time, we only did a show. Our shows were about half an hour long. But by the end of 2006, I I was giving up all of my vacation time, all of my weekends, everything, you know, getting up super early, staying up super late to work on all of this, you know, podcasting stuff and and trying to build that up while also having a full-time job and it just sort of came to a breaking point and um we were able to get support from our audience between SQPN and between our Rosie Army audiences and in 2 months uh between November 1st of 2006 and January 31st or excuse me December 31st so just 2 months we did our very first giving campaign now because we're a nonprofit um we were able to do that and then people were able to make tax deductible donations so that was that was a good thing for us but we were able to raise about $100,000 in 2 months and I quit my job in the IT industry and uh, said basically we had enough funding to run the organizations and to give my wife and I a very small salary. My wife was, uh, did all the financial accounting stuff. And um, between Father Roderick, myself, and my wife, uh, off of that $100,000, we did amazing things in that first year. I want to just highlight, I mean, I'm sure people's mouths, are, their jaws are on the floor still. $100,000 generated in donations in two months. Now, was that just Rosary Army or, or was that a com- combination of Rosary Army and and some of SQPN as well? It was it was a 50-50 split. It was we we raised half of it with Rosary Army and half of it with SQPN because we had some crossover. Just like I know that there's people that listen to Podcast Answer Man who also listen to our show, but not everyone did, right? right. And and so we were able to raise some from our dedicated constituents on both sides people who just cared about Rosary Army and people who just cared about SQPN, but there was a lot of crossover between the two. And so sometimes they'd say, you know what? I'll give five bucks to SQPN and five bucks to Rosary Army. They'd split it that way, though it didn't really matter. In the end, even they, they were two separate uh, nonprofit organizations, um, but we just if we just hit 100000 combined, that was enough for us to work with. So here's, here's what I, I believe I know from that story, and, and make sure that I, I'm telling this correctly or understanding it correctly. So my understanding is that you needed to leave this the day job because you felt called to this work that you were doing both with your own nonprofit for Rosary Army is what it's called. And then also to work with Father Roderick on SQPN to help them on the business and administrative side of things as well. And really, your idea, your dream in your mind was, what if I could leave my day job, this IT work behind, and focus half my time on our nonprofit and half of our time on SQPN? And if I could do that, that would be a dream come true. And once that dream was planted, it's like, okay, the reality is, is how much money would we need as a family to make this work? And the idea is that you came up with this dollar figure. We need $100,000. 
And so your goal then became, how do we generate $100,000? And that's when these giving campaigns began. And I remember listening to it. And sure enough, you know, the I guess the goal was maybe 50000 for Rosary Army. And then SQPM would have enough in their giving campaign to where they could actually allocate 50000 to having your administrative help from you and Jennifer. Is that how I understand it? Is that's that- pretty much it. Yeah. I mean, with a few nuances that aren't really important, but, but that's pretty much what the thinking was. And then the other thing as well is is that the reason why we made the decision to do that is because, again, all the extra time that I was pouring into it, I was giving up my life. You know, I was giving up my free time. I was giving up my focus on my kids. And so it got to a point where either my full-time job had to go and I had to focus on this passion, basically, or the passion had to go. And because my first commitment in this world is I'm a husband and I'm a father. And so I have a family to take care of. And so I had to make that decision. What do I do? And, and, and for us, and obviously I know that your listenership isn't necessarily that you may not have a faith or whatever, but for us, our faith is very important. And so we, we, we leaned on our faith greatly during this time to help us make that decision. And it literally was at the very last minute that it was kind of funny, Cliff. I don't know if you knew about this, that, so we're doing all this stuff, right? And during this time, we, my wife and I, for this quote unquote religious podcast, we actually won in 2006, the uh, best general podcast from the podcast awards at the podcast of portable new media expo, which was huge for a religious quote unquote religious podcast to win the general podcast award. So we won this award. We were on TV several times. We were featured in newspapers, all this kind of stuff at my regular job. The guy who hired me, he knew that I was doing this stuff. And that was only because he had actually hired me at a different company years before. And so he always knew I was doing this stuff. But for the most part, in the one year I was at this new company, I didn't tell anyone about a podcast. No one knew anything about what I did. And so when we were coming close to raising money and it looked like we were going to make our goal, I actually went into my into the my boss's boss, the chief information officer, and told him I was going to be resigning. And we hadn't even met the goal yet, but I told him I was going to resign. He's looking at me. I said, have you, ever, have you ever heard of a podcast before? And he's like, no. And I'm explaining it to him. And then I'm explaining, well, we have this nonprofit where we make rosaries and send them away. And he's, he's just looking at me like, are you, are you joking? Are you kidding me? He wouldn't let me leave. He, he, he convinced me to actually sign a contract. He said, you can be an hourly employee. You can work from home. Uh, you can set your own hours. You can set your own hourly rate. And if you want to only work two days a week, I just I, I have to keep you in some capacity. And so I actually I actually caved and agreed to that. And I had to give him a full month's notice if if um I was gonna back out on it. I worked so at the beginning of the year, two thousand and seven. So now I was working from home for two days a week and then Rosier, I mean SQPN the rest of the time. And those two, just those two days a week were killing me. Yep. And, and all, after one week, I said, this is not going to work because I needed, if I had one year and $100,000 for one year to make these two organizations fly, I needed to devote my energies to these things. And so I went back and I said, I, I'm going to give you fair notice now. At the end of this month, I'm done. And, and it was very difficult because it was, it was a very gratifying thing that he saw that much value in, in my work. But I needed to focus on these creative things. And, and, you know, creative things are weird. Creative things, for me at least. And, and one of the first things we did was a video series that we launched in the spring of 2007. And we almost launched it. I think we launched it too early because it was before. I mean, YouTube was there, but the idea of a YouTuber 
was not even anyone's consideration yet. And, and for our particular audience, I think that we launched a video series too early. And we, but trying to figure out what is our show going to be, what are we going to produce? Literally from like February until, or the beginning of February until the end of March, we were throwing out idea after idea after idea. And the creative process for us a lot of times was going to a coffee house and just sitting there drinking coffee and staring into space and waiting for the idea to come to us. And, and so for creative ideas are kind of there, you know, there's a reason why you hear people talking about the muse and all this kind of stuff, because they're very elusive sometimes, but when they strike, you just got to grab it and you got to, you got to push as hard as you can and making those things happen. Because when we did that video series was huge for us. And that video series ended up being used in churches around the world. We had a huge following of it in Australia for some weird reason. Um, and it just, again, when it strikes, you just got to run with it. So for just take a little side break here and, yeah. and tell us about the video series. What's the name of it? So the video series is called that Catholic show. And we only produced nine of them over time. Um, but because quite honestly, we, I spent a lot of time watching before we ever shot any video. I watched so much food network and HGTV because, and this is the way I explain it is, you know, here we're going to be talking about tenets of Catholicism that people may not care one iota a bit, right? Why, why do Catholics sit, stand, and kneel all the time? Well, that might be of interest to Catholics, but why would it be of interest to anyone else? Well, I looked to Food Network, for example, and they'll do a half-hour show about mushrooms. And you may hate mushrooms, but they make it look so compelling. And all of the cuts and the angles and the music and the sound – that you'll sit there and next thing you know, it's like, I just sat here and watched a half hour mushroom program. And was completely <laughs> entertained and, th and enthralled the entire time. Yeah, yeah. And and so how could we do that? And so I, I brazenly admit, I stole so many ideas from Alton Brown in terms of the, the look and the feel and the angles. And like, you know, and my wife was the one who hosted it because she looks much better on camera than I do. And and so I, you know, set up things for her to open up microwaves and I'd have the camera in there or open up, you know, newspaper dispen uh, dispensing machines, which I haven't actually seen one of those in years now. But I, by the way, I love the blooper of where <laughs> the camera's in there and you're like, you didn't have any more change to get it out. <laughs> but yeah. So we, that was another thing that we decided to do. And now everyone does bloopers at the end of their videos or whatever. But that was, again, one of those unique things. How can we make this kind of be a fun and amusing thing? And yes, I, we had just bought a new camera that cost several thousands of dollars. And on one of our first shoots, we said, oh, let's put it inside of this, this vending machine for newspapers. And so you'll buy the newspaper. And when you open it up, I'll be filming it. Well, she wasn't supposed to shut it all the way. And so she locked our camera inside that. So I'm like standing guard, just terrified. Someone's going to come up and try to buy a newspaper and I'm going to have to fight them over it. So while she went to go find change somewhere. I want to stop you for just a moment there and let people know, folks, first of all, I'm impressed with all the stuff that you guys have done over the years and the authentic authenticity and the transparency of the Rosary Army podcast, which is this original podcast that you created for your nonprofit. And many people may not know this, but your Rosary Army podcast was the inspiration for Stephanie and I to get together and to, to do a show called Family from the Heart, which has been going on, for, well, since January of 2008. And so, first of all, thank you for the inspiration and, and the way that you and Jennifer would get behind a microphone and just talk about what's going on each week. 
that is exactly the same format. We literally ripped that off of you. So, <laughs> well, hey, I stole from Alton Brown. You steal from us. I guess it's all good, right? Yeah. And and the other thing I want to say is that when you decided to get into video, I I agree. I I, I can only imagine. In a way, I'm kind of glad that you didn't start. Let's just say two years ago instead of however many years ago that was. Because man, if you guys were just YouTubers today and you weren't podcasters. That that would be my my week would be different because I I listen to you guys every week. But mm. anyway, um, but the the thing is, is I want people to to take a moment and make sure that they go and check out that Catholic show. I don't care if you have Catholic faith, Christian faith, anything. Definitely go look at that for some inspiration on what's possible when creating great YouTube content. Because so many times I've seen podcasters who hear that you know YouTube is the number two search engine in the world, and then they want to create video. But what they're doing is they're creating video that's nothing more than them recording their stuff. I've been guilty of doing this because I, you know, I'm a little bit lazy and I didn't want to go through all the trouble that you went through and all the creative process. But man, you guys took video on YouTube to a whole new level. And, and what I loved about it is that it was it was uniquely made for that platform, and it's exactly what you're talking about. You could take any topic and by using camera angles and and shortcut shots and, and a well uh, thought out script and also editing with music and everything else, lighting, all of those different things, it, it, it is amazing. And where can people go today? What's the easiest place for them to go and just see one or two of those episodes? We actually have the website, thatcatholicshow.com. And if you go there, you could find it right away. Go check that out. All right, so let's come back to the story here. So you've created some of these videos now. Where are we in the process of where you're kind of working with Rosary Army? You're working halftime with SQPN. You finally put in your notice and the, the day job is all, all ties have been cut. What yeah. happens next? Well, so... For that first year, 2007, and and by the way, when you go watch that Catholic show, it looks like 2007. We didn't have a DSLR camera. Again, we had what we had, so take that in consideration. But in 2007, really it was a, a year of, of forming this organization and bringing other people together to get, help give them a bigger platform as well because people were paying attention to SQPN from a podcasting perspective. They knew that that was a place where they could go for quality podcasts, and so – we were inviting other podcasters onto the platform. But then throughout the course of the year, we keep adding other new programs, keep trying new things, keep trying to build the website, trying to find more funding so that we wouldn't have to be perpetually begging our audience to help support us. And at the end of the year, we had accomplished a tremendous amount. And so we did another giving campaign for that same time frame from November 1st until December 31st. And we were able to raise the same amount of money again the next year from our audience and from the audience that had grown throughout the course of that year. So going into 2008, we're going to conferences. We're, we're kind of branching out, not just in the Catholic world, but you know, we had gone out to uh, the podcast of Portable New Media Expo two years in a row, won several awards for both um, – the Rosary Army podcast, as well as a lot of the, the SQPN produced podcasts, Father Roderick won several awards, and just making connections in that world, which by the way, the podcast movement, it killed me watching all the tweets this year and not being a part of that, and I'm definitely going to make an effort to go next year because it just, between you and all the other people that I follow, that I don't, I'm not a part of that community anymore, and I'm hungry for that community, but that's an aside, but in 2008, we had the idea of actually starting a conference that would help to teach people how to do this kind of media as well as bring 
the creators of this kind of media together and the quote unquote fans of the media. And so this idea of having a celebration and we, so we planned this and I lived in Atlanta at the time. And so we planned it for this one day in June of 2008. And we ended up getting a lot of people coming to this that were very interested. A lot of people from newspapers, a lot of people from radio and TV that really wanted to understand better how new media was kind of changing things and how new media and traditional media, radio and TV and that kind of thing, can play together. And so it was just a great opportunity for all these people uh, to come together and learn and celebrate. And it was just w- one of the most gratifying, one of the hardest things I've ever done was planning that conference. But it was one of the most satisfying things I've ever done, particularly because even now I can look back, hindsight is twenty twenty, and see the fruit of that particular conference since 2008 and all of the years since then. And so... You know, that halfway point in 2008 and that conference really was a major turning point in where my wife and I ended up going in media. And it was partially as a direct result of that conference. Nice. And, and, you know, the conference, that that was the CNMC, the Catholic New Media Celebration. And I recall, I'm glad you guys started that because the second year of that event was held in Boston. And you remember the VeggieTales? The yeah. yeah, the VeggieTales, there's this song, I think it's the Pirates That Don't Do Anything. Right. And they say, I've never been to Boston in the fall. <laughs> anyway, so it was the fall of the next year, you guys held it in Boston. And that was the first opportunity that I had to meet you and Jennifer face-to-face and also Father Roderick face-to-face because you guys had invited me to come out and teach podcasting at that next event. And I remember the first time I saw you at that event, we had just, I'm terrible when I get off of a plane. I'm the most scatterbrained person when I get off of a plane. And so we landed and we take the, the, you know, the train or whatever over to the area where then we walk over to the hotel and we're in the lobby. And I remember seeing you, I'm like, oh, there's you and there's you and there's you and Cliff Ravenscraft. And then I just kind of remember pointing at you and it wasn't until like later on that evening that we actually had a chance to talk. But I remember seeing you in the lobby for the first time and just it's always a weird thing when you virtually or when you in person meet these people you only know virtually. It is. And when we're talking, it's like we feel like we know each other and we've been friends for years and and that it's just been, you know, years since we've seen each other last. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's amazing. So, Catholic New Media Conference. So, so basically, we're now at the story. You've been into this for a couple years now. A second year in the row, you were able to generate another $100,000 to cover things. What happens next? So, leading up to the Catholic New Media uh, celebration and inviting a lot of people, and, and I was in charge of you know organizing the speakers and, and who was going to be there, and pulling people from TV, pulling people from radio, um, actually invited someone from SiriusXM who had a, a daily talk show, a three-hour talk show um, on SiriusXM to be a part of this. And so he agreed, and he was actually going to moderate a couple of the panels that we had arranged. And in planning this, literally like the Friday before this conference, we held the conference on a Sunday. Uh, the Friday before, having a conversation with him on the phone, kind of going through last-minute things, and somehow... Um, our podcast came up and I said, yeah, we, we've been, we've been doing our podcast, uh, at 27 minutes and 30 seconds because we've had some radio stations express interest in broadcasting our podcast as a half hour show. And so that's what they asked us to do it at was 27 minutes and 30 seconds. And he says, you know, it's funny that you said that, you know, um, the, the Catholic channel on Sirius XM is actually, um, hunting for new hosts. He said, remind me to give you my boss's card mm. when, uh, when I see you on Sunday. And so he comes, you know, he arrives in town and on Sunday, 
Um, we're talking. I said, hey, you told me to uh, remind you about your boss's card. He goes, oh, yeah. And he reaches in his pocket, gives, gives me his boss's card. Well, the day after the CNMC, we're having a board meeting for SQPN since all of, all of the members were in town for this event. And again, operating off of the shoestring, $100,000 may sound like a lot, but it was 100000 to last a year and to be able to support our family and support the organization. So it was not a lot. But we're, So we would meet at a coffee house that a buddy of mine owned. And literally during one of the breaks, I just shot off an email uh, to the general manager of this, of this channel on SiriusXM. I said, hey, uh, so-and-so gave me your name, uh, told me to contact you. Here's a link to our podcast. Here's five good uh, episodes of what we've done to give you an idea of the kind of the wackiness of our show. And um, would love to talk to you. He literally wrote back that day, says, I'll take a listen to it. Wednesday of that week, they uh, contacted us and said, we want you to come up to New York and audition. And within two weeks, my wife and I were at Sirius XM Studios doing a three-hour demo audition for them that only people at SiriusXM were listening to internally, but we had to treat it like it was a real radio show. So we even had guests on the program that we had prearranged, and they did a lot of fake calls to see how we would handle antagonistic callers and that kind of thing. So it was a very, very strange um, thing for us. And the next day, uh, we're at the airport and waiting for our plane to uh, show up. And they called us while we were still waiting at the airport and said, we want you to come back uh, in a week and a half and do a live show on a Saturday morning and just see how you handle a live audience. And so we did that. And uh, within a few weeks, long story short, they had offered us a full-time job of, of hosting this radio show. And, and I had this idea that going on radio was going to be a huge help for the podcasting things that we did. But unfortunately for us to do this, you know, before they made the job offer, my wife and I, we're the ones who started Rose Jeremy all on our own. All on our own. SQPN was started. That was Father Roderick's initial idea. We helped start that and get it incorporated and everything else. But we had to let one of those things go if we're going to do a full-time radio show for three hours a day. So and, let's get this right. So so you've yeah. been podcasting for a couple years, and, yep. and all of a sudden you get this connection that says, hey, they're looking for hosts on a satellite radio show, and they're offering you a full-time position as a host of a XM Sirius satellite radio show. And it's three hours a day, five days a week. That's that's it. Three hours of content every yeah. single day. Every day. Every day. Five days a week. And every this day. is this is broadcast to everybody out there who has a subscription to XM Sirius yeah. Radio. And in the podcaster's mind, you know, the I'm just putting myself in the podcaster's mind because I've actually listened to a lot of people whose dreams were to get into podcasting so that maybe they could syndicate their show. And here you've actually not just got this syndicated on a couple radio stations, you know, geographically, through, sporadically placed throughout the United States or throughout the world. But you are literally offered the opportunity for three hours a day to put your message out to a world to a somewhat captive audience of people in their cars who are interested in in the channel. And, and are we able to say what channel it was? Yeah, yeah. It was the Catholic channel. It was it's the it, Catholic channel. So it, obviously, it, it all comes back secondhand now. It's the Catholic channel, Sirius XM 159 or, yes. <laughs> or 129. Sirius so XM. This, this is a dream come true for most podcasters. I mean, th- this is like, oh my gosh, I've hit the, yeah. in their mindset, I've hit the big leagues, and I imagine. Matter of fact, I I was listening to you guys week after week. I actually listened to you in between the the job offer and all these other things. So I remember the whole process. And your idea was that you needed to let something go and then go. So we resigned from SQPN, which was very difficult to do, and still to this day, 
Uh, I mean, that was in 2008. Still to this day, I, I question that decision of letting um, our our role with SQPN go because it was it meant so much to us, um, and and it was sort of it was just it was just difficult for us to do. But we we began the radio show then in September of 2008. And we did it for four full years, um, and it was it was an amazing experience. We had an opportunity to interview people live on the air, like Cliff Ravenscraft and Father Roderick, <laughs> as well as well, you know, we had people. You could like, have had you you've had you could have had us no matter what. But here's the deal: you had Julie Andrews. Yeah, which is one of the coolest things when when Julie Andrews comes on your show and says, "Hello, Greg. Hello, Jennifer," and you're like. I'm talking to Mary Poppins <laughs> no, right now, man. Uh, or Maria. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It, it was so tempting, man. You have no idea how tempting it was to ask her to just sing you a song. Uh. Like, will, you just, will you just sing me a song? But we had, I mean, we had Kevin Bacon on our show and Nathan Fillion and Edward James Olmos and Sean Astin. And I got to get, uh, have a really, you know, heated argument that I feel like I really held my own with Jesse Ventura. Um, you know, it just, just, it wasn't all about Catholicism. It was about talking to people. Yeah. And so that was, that was probably talking, you know, interviewing people and, and, and doing that kind of stuff, but then also having a platform where we could help raise up other people who were trying to get, you know, their authors and people who created programs and that kind of thing that they were trying to get an audience and help them get an audience. That was always my favorite part, but you know, it took, it took probably, two years to finally convince my father that I didn't work for just three hours a day. It was, it was an all consuming job Yeah, because think about, you know, if it's broken down into 20 minute segments that basically I had to create nine 20 minute segments a day that were interesting and non-repetitive and would engage the audience and get them calling in and get them, you know, doing things and changing their lives. And so that was a lot of content. So it was a, creating content was one of those things that I literally did from the moment I woke up until I went to bed at night. My wife and I would get in conversations at 10 o'clock at night as we're standing in the kitchen. And we always have had this thing where again, that transparency thing, if we were, if we start getting in an argument, we're like, Oh, you know what? Let's save this for the show. And so many times we're like, Oh, we got to save this for the show. Let's not have this conversation as a husband and wife. Let's save this for the show. And so it was, you know, it, it was a great, wonderful opportunity that I will always be thankful for. But it was it was a tremendous amount of work, and in what was interesting is when we went and did it. So our initial thinking was that we would keep doing the podcast once a week, but when you're doing 15 hours of content on the radio, you didn't have anything left. I mean, there was I, I had, we had no other ideas, and so we started like duplicating content that we already did on the radio, and we would try to do it again fresh for our podcast, and we just started feeling, I started feeling fake. I can't speak for my wife, but I started feeling like we're not giving them the best that we can, and it's not fair to keep stringing people along. And so we made the incredibly difficult decision after a couple of months, and we ended our Rosier Army podcast after 244 episodes. I, I remember that. I mean, the, and you're t- you're saying after a couple months of actually getting the position as a radio host uh, on XM being on the air. I mean, so yeah. started in September and in November, we just said we can't. We weren't being regular with our podcast. We weren't creating new content for the podcast. We were like recycling a lot of stuff, and it just when we go to do the podcast, we're like we don't. And it was such a weird thing because the way that you do radio, you know, they they hired us because of how we were on podcasts. 
But on the radio, you have to keep telling people who you are every three minutes and what channel they're listening to every three minutes and what it is that that you're talking about every three minutes. And the way that they explain it to us at the beginning is like when you turn on cable news, right? It doesn't matter what channel, but Fox, CNN, MSNBC, whatever. You know within 20 seconds who you're watching, what they're talking about, and what the major story is. I mean, you know right away because they have the banners going down below and they, their name is on the screen, and you know immediately. And you also know what's coming up a lot of times because they'll have a banner over there. Well, that's you have to keep doing that because people are turning on this channel and you got to keep them from turning it onto another channel. And so you got to hold their attention as long as possible. So we're doing a lot of that and we're trying to be transparent at the same time. But then also, you know, the great thing about podcasts. And the way I explain it is like, listen, you have your phone. And back then it was just you have your iPod, right? You, you have this device and you have Cliff Ravenscraft who you can put on this device and you could put Cliff Ravenscraft in your pocket and you can carry Cliff Ravenscraft with you wherever you want to go. And when you're ready to make Cliff Ravenscraft talk, all you got to do is take this thing out of your pocket and press a button. Whereas on radio, if you weren't in the car, you missed it. Yep. And so a lot of the creative things that we used to do and the goofy skits and that kind of thing, we quickly realized, you know, those things could take two or three hours to make a really high produced, good, good sounding little bit. And on the radio, we'd play it. And if you weren't listening at exactly 10, 16 a.m. Eastern time, you missed it. And it was gone forever. Whereas on a podcast, it's sort of I mean, we still hear from people who talk about some of the dumb skits that we did 10 years ago. Yeah. And, and so that's kind of. I started to miss that pretty quickly of, of the, the flexibility and the creativity. I love, you know, and I'd had someone just yesterday who still works in radio ask me just yesterday, do you miss it? And I said, yeah, yeah, I do. I, I do. I do miss the regularity of it. I don't know if I miss three full hours of it every day, but I do miss the regularity of, of having, there's a different dynamic. There's a different energy to doing the radio stuff. But, you know, I, I, I'm also loving what it is that we're doing now. What was the reaction of your community that, you know, those people who had contributed a hundred grand for two yeah. years straight to help you realize this dream of providing for your family, but also working towards your calling towards these two nonprofits and, and stuff like that. And then after two years of that, you leave. I would say, here's what's interesting. I would say the people who financially supported us were the most supportive of this move. Yeah. It, it was the people who never financially supported us were the ones who were the angriest at the move. That you know what? I I I totally see that. I absolutely We had some there were some angry 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 people. One person said something and and this is this is harsh. This is very harsh. So, we had not only I, I mentioned earlier that one miscarriage that that we experienced and we podcast about it. Well, we had another miscarriage like 2 years later. Well, when we started our radio show, my wife was actually pregnant. And this, this one looked like it was going to come you know, fully to term. So in November, the baby was due in January. In November is when we quit our podcast. And one person actually left a comment. This was someone who'd never donated and never supported us anyway. They just consumed the, the media. One person posted on our website, we were there for you through two miscarriages. And now you're going to take this away just as this baby is arriving. And it's sort of like, um, hmm. <laughs> you know, I don't know how to respond to that. It's like it's 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 it was a strange thing for us to feel that kind of anger about something that's like we, we want to be a part of a, a community, a, a friendship. And, and so I appreciated more the people who supported us. And, and they we the people who are your true community 
will support you no matter what. Yeah. They will support you through changes and through mistakes. And when you mess up and you say something stupid, they are the ones who support you. And for me, they're the ones who I want to create media for. I want to make media for them and for people like them. That that because they feed me in in a way that I've never been adequately able to explain in words. You know, Greg, I'm hearing this from the Greg Willits who has gone through that journey and has come out on the other side to where you are today. And 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 it sounds to me like you're speaking what we would call words of wisdom th- that you've gained through the experience. So you're you're seeing this from the perspective. You know, you're seeing that comment and and what it is through this perspective of the lens of looking back. Yeah, but yeah. be honest. When you got that feedback, did you almost feel like, man, it, it cut you your soul in half, and and you all you may have even questioned <laughs> that that person might be right at the time? Oh, absolutely. Hey, listen, ask me to quote a good email I've gotten. I can't do it. <laughs> ask me to quote a bad one. Yep. The fact that I can remember that over all the years, I can I can recall a lot of that. And so, yeah, of course, I, I always question when when someone says something negative. Because there's probably some valid truth, even even if maybe it was presented in not the best way, there's normally something to be gained from that. And I'll be honest, her comment when our show did end on Sirius XM in 2012, and we rebooted our, our radio show as a podcast, and we went back to the podcasting world, it was comments like that that were in the back of my head and really make me very cognizant of how much respect we need to have for our audience at all times because yeah. even the ones who are negative still are vital parts of the audience. Yeah, it, I, that, that's, I'm so glad you brought that up because to me, that is, that is something that we face a lot as podcasters, you know, we, especially those of us who are putting so much of our, our real life online. We're being so transparent. We're being so authentic. We're so giving of so many aspects of our lives that we're sharing with our community that we open ourselves up we reveal. I guess what we do is we we reveal to our audience some of our vulnerabilities. We reveal the buttons that people can push. You know, it's like you know, hey, if you want to push my button and really get to me, to, you know, if you really want to hurt me, here's here's where those buttons are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're we're kind of exposing those. We're we're giving them like a, a treasure map uh, that leads right to the buttons that are really going to 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 really hurt us if they want to. Yeah. And 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 man, as a podcaster, people will push those buttons. Yeah. But I I love that we got both aspects. So yes, there is the real thing that man. Th- those are the ones I hold on to. Those are the ones that really cut deep and and I remember those for years and they st- they sting and they got memories tied to them you probably remember where you were when you read the words I mean it's that kind of crazy memory but I love that actually you started off with well looking back you know that it yeah we got some feedback but it's the people who actually supported us that it's the people who who did financially those are the ones who are you know what even if they thought it was a complete mistake to turn away from podcasting and just go full on into this even if they thought in their heart that that was a huge mistake for our family, they still supported us and wanted the best for us. Yep. That's the kind of person I want to surround myself with. Absolutely. All right. So four years later, one thing leads to another. The radio show comes to an end. And then what happens? Well, so we're, we're at a tough spot because essentially now, not only it wasn't like, you know, hey, you quit your podcast and you move on with your life. For us, when our radio show ended, we were unemployed. We, we were out of work. And we have five kids at this point. And so we're, you know, we're panicking a, a little bit. And I was able to get some work because of 
now that I had a little bit more clout and, and working in radio helped in that respect that I was able to do some audio books and I did some narration during, in, uh, during this uh, time and did some side projects. And really, again, because I can't help but try to uh, align my life with, through some level of discernment and leaning on my faith to help me to be able to determine what my next steps are, I'm really trying to discern, do I become a new media consultant, which really didn't excite me too much? Uh, do I you know, go and get another full-time job? Do I go back to the IT industry? What, what do I do? I was completely open to whatever. And I did a lot of side work, and then I eventually ended up getting a, a job offer to um, work for what's called an archdiocese, to work for a, a part of the Catholic Church and move to Denver, Colorado. And so that's what we did. I needed full-time work to take care of my family. And so I had to go down that route. But in the meantime, the week after our radio show went off the air, we rebooted our show as a podcast. And I've learned a lot of lessons just in the almost three years since our show went off the air and we rebooted as a podcast and we're, you know, we, we've, we weren't overly consistent at first with the first few weeks we did 13 weeks, boom, right in a row. And then I got this job offer and then I had to move across the country and leave my family behind in Atlanta for a few months. And then the first year here, it took us a while to kind of get our rhythm back to doing a regular show again. But for us, again, the audience, the community showed up for us and we're trying to figure out, okay. And, and I'm, I've always had a bit of an entrepreneurial, um, flair, but I never, really called myself an entrepreneur. I often, you know, we started up two nonprofit organizations. The th kind of work that I did, I always felt like, well, this is the kind of stuff that we need to make it available for free. This benefits people's lives. We have to do these kinds of things. And so I've had to really work hard over the past few years of transforming that mindset a little bit that, yes, that's good. The nonprofit angle is good. But if you, if for my family's perspective, I also need to be thinking about how can I actually be taking my knowledge and my skills and the things I'm good at and transforming it into something that can benefit other people's lives while also handsomely helping our family financially, which is something that's always been somewhat elusive. I've always kind of, again, that $100,000, really what we needed when we were trying to raise that money was $500,000. The next year when we raised another $100,000, really we needed a million, you know, but I always kind of undersell, undersold myself. And what I've really had to work and, and Cliff, you know, right after our radio show went off the air, maybe it was right around the same time. I remember you came through Atlanta back in October of 2012. And I think our show was already off the air. Yep. But I can't remember exactly when, when you came through actually, town. But I think, yes, it actually was. It was already off the air. And, but it may have been just like a week before yep. when you came through. And, you know, you're telling me even back then. You know, Greg, you know how to do X, Y, and Z. You need to make a product. You need to do something along those lines. And my brain, I just couldn't figure out you know, I'm about to run out of money is what was <laughs> running yeah. through my brain. You know, I'm about to lose my house. I have to do something quickly. And so here, here I went from, you know, podcasting and then raising all this money and being able to do this nonprofit stuff full time and then moving to radio and all. And then now it was all gone. And it was, it was very difficult for me to see that. And, but that conversation Cliff that you and I had back in 2012 it has resonated with me, and I think about it. I don't think a week goes by that I don't, I don't think about it in some way. And I've constantly over the past two and a half years, as I have a, a full-time job now, and I have a very good job. I have a lot of responsibility. Um, I, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful place to work. 
But I still have this desire that's always been innate in me to always be working on some other project, some other next thing, right? Yep. And, and so that's, that's just something that is inescapable for me. And so that's something that I have done a lot of study and a lot of work, and I kind of feel like I'm starting all over again. So whereas in 2005, I was one of the first Catholic podcasters. I was the first, one of the first podcasters, period, that now I'm looking at things like podcast movement, and I see all these new people that are moving quickly and doing amazing, great things, and, and you know, there's you, and there's Pat Flynn, and there's all these people just doing amazing things, and in many ways, I feel like the neophyte again. I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm in the dark again, and I'm stumbling through, and I'm piecing together, well, well, let me try this now, and let me try this, and what if this works? And really, it's that constant experimentation of just trying things out and giving myself permission that not everything is going to work. So here's an example. Last, last April, actually, I signed up a Patreon account, and I never launched it. I set up the account. It was sitting there. I didn't do anything with it. For months, yep. I wasn't quite sure how to launch it. How do I, is, is, can I ask the audience to do this? I don't quite feel right to do this. Well, and so we started to try to not only change our own mindset, but the mindset of our audience as well. Yep. And the expectations of our audience. It's like, listen, here's the thing. Everything that we do, obviously we want to help people. We, we, we do things for, for other people. And, and quite honestly, again, my, my faith comes into it. We do things for God. Yep. But the reality is, is for 10 years, we never gathered email addresses because it just didn't feel right. We didn't try to sell anything you know, of our own because it just didn't feel right. Everything that we created, we put it underneath this nonprofit banner. And then when it came time to trying to support my family, all these creative endeavors, all this initiative, everything ended up having to go get a job. And so it just makes me think, hey, you know what? I've gone through unemployment twice now. And I hate that feeling and I never want to experience it again. So what can I be doing? Maybe even slowly over time. And I think about my future, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm still relatively young. I'm, I'm in my mid forties, but still the last 20 years have passed really quickly. So I imagine the next one, you're going to pass even faster. What am I doing to prepare for my future? And talking to a financial analyst who tells me that, you know, because we made so many sacrifices, I'm going to have to work in some capacity until I'm in my 80s. I'm never going to be able to, you know, I could never just retire. And that just doesn't seem right. Yeah. So what am I going to do to supplement that? What am I going to do to at least fix that? If not, maybe God willing someday be able to go full, full force, you know, being creative again. And so I'm asking these things, what are we going to do? And so last October or actually, you know, throughout, I'd say April to October, I started developing some products, playing around with ideas. You, you know, I still kind of kick myself. You told me back in 2012, I made a, a video about using Scrivener. And you're like, you could make that. But in the back of my mind, I kept thinking, but do I want to become the Scrivener coach? Do I want to be that guy? And, and that, was, that was something that held me back where, versus just making something and putting it out there and seeing what happens. But because of some of the reaction that we got to our audiences in the past, I didn't want I didn't want someone to say, you know, we supported you with your Scrivener program and now you've abandoned us for something else. I just was I <laughs> I, I didn't want to I, I didn't want to, you know, I was afraid, you yeah. know, quite honestly. I didn't want to experience that again. So it it prevented me from actually trying to do something. Well, I started creating some things and and again, I'm like, how am I gonna launch this? And you and I had another conversation. And I and I registered some URLs and I have ideas that I would like to do some non- non-religious thing in the future. I think that I have enough information in my brain that I could be of value, but what, what I keep kind of you know, 
this this Catholics Next Door podcast that my wife and I have developed, and we have a, a good following for this now, is there something here? And so it was kind of still associated with our nonprofit, and we just did a clean split from our nonprofit. And we got it, we made its own website, and it and then we started saying it's Greg and Jennifer, the Catholics next door. Because the other thing is that I started being associated with a, a brand versus me being me. And so people would see value in the brand in SQPN or in Rosier Army or in that Catholic show, but they weren't seeing value in me, yet I'm the person who made all these brands. And so what what could my wife and I do to be able to help? And it sounds self-serving. And even now I struggle to talk about this a little bit. But the the fact of the matter is, is brands fall away, but you will always remain. Absolutely. You will always be there. And that's just a lesson that that's taken me over 10 years to learn. I will always be here. And all of the donors to a nonprofit might go away. And then the nonprofit is gone, but you're still there. All of your listeners to a radio show might go away, but you're still there. So what, what do we do there? How do I make sure that people realize, because when our radio show went off the air, it was like Greg Willett's disappeared. And that's something I don't like that feeling. And it's not because I want to promote myself, but I will always be here. I'm the person who I have to live with every day. I don't have to live with a brand every day. Right. And, and so we, it was very difficult for us to say, listen, we are going to start a Patreon campaign. And, and it was actually kind of an impromptu thing. We did not plan to do this. It was what some of the best ideas come when we're recording a podcast and in the middle of the podcast, we go, Hey, what if we do this? And then we do it while we're recording the podcast. And so we've done that many times and it gets us in trouble sometimes, but sometimes it works fabulously. And in this case, I said, you know what? I set up this Patreon account months ago. I'm just going to click a button and see what happens. And we said to our audience, Hey, if you want to support us every time we create a show, if you want to toss in a dollar into our virtual tip jar, if you want to be a co-producer of our show, then you can go to patreon.com forward slash Greg and Jennifer. And so we just said it on the show. We're like, there it is. Whatever. We don't care. Well, people went and signed up that week. We're like, what the heck? And then the next week we made a few bucks and we made a podcast the very next week. The, the fact is, is that you had, you had just quickly brazed over the fact that you made a clean split. You yeah. did say that you created a new website for this. But during that clean split time, you came to us, the audience, in your podcast and said, listen, you know, so much of what we have done up to this point has been for the nonprofit. And when you think of this podcast, you think of our nonprofit and stuff like that. But what we're getting ready to do is we're thinking about our financial future. We're thinking about retirement. We got kids in co- you know, going off to college. We got... And and th- we're we're making a clean uh, direction change with this podcast. This has become, and I would actually use the word, a not only for profit. Yes. So we're going from nonprofit to not only for profit. This, from this point forward, what we do with the Catholics next door, what we do with the rest of our branding with Greg and Jennifer, we are doing this for profit. This is yep. going to profit our family, and I, that's I think that right there. When you started communicating that, I saw the light bulb switch, and I also saw the reaction. So go ahead with the the, the light bulb on. switch in me or in the audience. I, I think I saw it. Well, first of all, I think the audience was already ready for you to to do it years ago. But for you, I saw that. That's where I saw the switch. Yeah, and and since then, and I'm, we'll cut to that chase. So here it is, not a year later, um, but but coming up on it. What about ten months uh, later? And we now have 147 members of our audience as we're recording this right now, 147, which is not a lot, but it's still really good. 
Yep. 147 members of our audience every every Sunday when my wife and I come down to the basement and and record a show and talk to each other for an hour, uh, we get paid $373 a show from from our audience that listens to us. 373 per episode. Per which, episode. Which is approximately $1500 per month, maybe even as close as 18 or 1900 if there's a fifth week in the month. Yep. That's exactly how, it. How how many pizzas would you have to deliver if that was your second job? <laughs> I thought about I thought about Dave Ramsey so many times here because that's his thing. It's like, you know, you go off and get a second job and then or you can take your talents and skills and figure out a way of of making that work. And this, and so yes, when you when you made that light bulb comment and I, and I asked for clarification, it is because I have thought about those pizzas. It's it's I have kids that are a couple years away from college and guess what? I'm not going to be able to help them when they go. We're telling them, you're going to have to be creative. You're going to have to figure it out. And my two oldest boys, or I have a 15-year-old who worked 30 to 40 hours a week this, this summer uh, at a fast food restaurant. I don't want them to have to experience these things uh, when they're my age. I want them to, to understand you can be creative as well. It's great that you have a job now. You're learning experience. But what can you do? What, what are your skills? And I have found myself in the last two years in particular with my older kids Asking them, what are your skills? What are your genuine interests and passions? And what can you do with that that's going to add value to the lives of other people that is also going to support you? And try to change their mindsets away from that mindset that kind of hovered over me for so many years. That's awesome. You know, my friend Dan Miller right now is getting ready to, he, he's getting a ton of advice from his community uh, over at 48 Days Online Radio. And he's going to be developing an entire program, probably in about four to six weeks from now, where he'll spend an entire 48 minutes of his episode sharing entrepreneurial ideas or business ideas that kids are in, you know, around in their young teens can awesome. actually launch to build profitable careers for themselves. That's awesome. So you're now, I mean, obviously you're making some income from the podcast. And what I love about this, Greg, is you're not only making income from this podcast, you know, this, you know, approximately $1,500 a month from the podcast, but you're actually being paid to create the weekly content that is developing an ever deepening relationship and bond between you and your audience where they come to know, like, and trust you even more every single episode so that when you come out with the next paid product, they're even more likely to buy from you. And, and you know, and that's a good spin, Cliff. We talked about Scrivener, right? I love to write. My goal since I was a kid and my eighth grade English teacher came up to me after class and said, Greg, you have no right nor reason not to be a writer. And she wasn't talking about, I have two books that have been published that I was hired by publishers to write nonfiction books. I can, I can, I could get a contract, a nonfiction contract on Monday if I wanted one. But what I've always wanted is to write fiction, to write novels. I've always wanted to be a paperback writer, right? And I have always pushed that desire off to the side. In some ways, this Patreon thing and and building up my audience, it, it made me realize, you know what? Even if I can never get an agent or a publisher to to publish this. There's so many great ways that I could self-publish now. Now there's value in self-publishing. People see value in it. And I have an audience that I know will buy my book. Even if it's a small part of my audience, I know I have people that are interested in what I have to say now. And, and it, it took me four, you know, almost 45 years to get to that point. And so that's a great thing to know that I can focus on what is truly important to me. And when I, when I write down all my brainstorm ideas, I could, I could make this product and this product and this product and this product, or I could write fiction books. I can write novels and I might actually be able to make a go of that. That's a very exciting thing for me. 
and this is the, you know, it's the aligning of everything just in this time and this place in our world where I can actually make that happen. But it's amazing all the things that had to have occurred beforehand to make this, my, my dream since childhood, a potential reality. So, you know, hopefully next time we have a chance to talk like this, we might even be talking about how podcasting eventually led to me being a, a best-selling novelist because that's my next goal. That is awesome. I love it. And I hope it won't take the next 10 years to make it happen. (laughs) (laughs) I'm hoping I don't have to wait that much longer again. As we're having this conversation, one little thought is coming to my mind. And that is, I imagine there's probably a handful of my audience that's listening to this, Greg, and, and they have this idea that man, if Greg can do this, maybe I can too. I'm just going to create a podcast and I'm going to get with my wife and we're going to turn our, our walk-in closet into a podcast studio. And within a couple months, I'm going to generate $100,000 in donations. And my community is going to just donate $100,000 a year for us to live off of. And and even if I walk away from that for a couple of years and then I come back to podcast it, just a couple months later, you know, I'm going to be making $373 per podcast episodes from my audience. Can you speak to that? Do you think that that's something that everyone out there should be pushing towards or is that really something, is that reasonable for people to expect and is there a little bit more to it behind the scenes that that you would say to give people a realistic expectation of what they might uh, see happen? That $373 an episode would never have happened had we not put in the four years of radio and built up the audience there. And the four years of radio never would have happened had we not put in the years of podcasting and building up a a community there. And the $100,000 that we raised that first year would not have even happened had we not put in a few years of doing what? Of building relationships and And, of growing people. And I want to stress this. A few, the first 100,000, where you said a few years, not a few months. No. A few years. And, and, and And just real quickly, Go back in your mind, folks, and rewind what Greg said at the beginning. I had the IT job, I'm working there, and I'm working around the clock, nonstop, sacrificing time with my wife and my kids. I'm literally SQPN, I'm doing Rosary Army, we're doing all this content production, we're doing all of these things. I, I happen to know how much audience engagement you're doing individually outside of that. The creative process, you're creating other, you know, these videos, you're doing all this stuff. And folks, I just don't want anybody out there to think that you just create a podcast, you just create a podcast every single week, and you put about three to five hours into it, and you expect financial rewards from it. It just does not happen. It could happen if you're, I don't know, Mark Marin, but it's, <laughs> you know, but, but the reality is, is, you know, and here's the thing, and, and let me, let me, throw some encouragement in there. Yeah, please do. Cliff, you and I have known each other for years. I think about one of the first times, and it might have been the first time you ever actually interviewed me. I was in Ontario, California at the podcast and Portable New Media Expo. And I don't know if you sent me an email or if you posted online and you were doing talk shoe way back then. Yep. And you said, hey, and you're, you're back at your house. And you're saying you weren't able to go to it, but you're doing a podcast about the podcast of Portable New Media Expo. And you're like, if anyone's there, call into the program. I'm like, oh, I, you know, I called into you, right? And I remember being in my hotel room and Father Roderick was sitting right there next to me. Yep. And talking to you way back then at this, at this conference, the fact that, you know, way back then it's developing that community, that community, the community, the community, the community. I can't emphasize that enough. And, and you and I back then, we knew each other, 
but I don't even know if I would have called you a friend. We knew you were doing podcasts and I was doing a podcast. Yep. And then we, you know, we saw each other at that conference and then we saw each other at another conference and then we started trading emails and I'm listening to your shows and you're listening to mine and, and it took time. Friendships sometimes take time. Sometimes you make a friend and they're immediate friend for life, right? But friendships take time. If your community, if you truly are going to call them your community and not your customers, that takes time. They need time to know that they can trust you. And you need to learn how to trust them as well. And that just takes time. But that time is worth it. Yes. Because there are people who I have developed these long-term community-based friendships and relationships with and who have become collaborators. One of my best friends in the world was someone who was a listener to the program. And we've gone on vacations and we've spent multiple New Year's Eves with this, this person. And he is one of my best friends in the world, he and his wife. And it's because they were a part of our community first. They listened to our show and we just got to know them. And, it, you know, it just sometimes things hit. Yeah. But that takes time. And that really, in our friendship, Cliff, I, I, I can proudly call you a friend and I call you a good friend, but I couldn't have said that 2005. Right. It, it took many years. And that's what it is sometimes with the community. But that, that journey and the work, it, it, for a real friendship, for a real community, is it worth putting in the time? It should be. It is. Absolutely. Well, Greg, it has been a privilege and an honor to witness your journey. Everything that we've talked about, I've been able to firsthand see uh, with my own eyes and experience it. And it has been a true joy and honor to to see your journey, to be a part of your journey with you at, at various aspects of it. And I look forward to seeing where this goes from this point forward. And I encourage folks out there, just head over to gregandjennifer.com. And I want to encourage you to check out The Catholics Next Door. I'm not Catholic, and I listen to it every single week, and I am one of their 147 Patreon supporters. Or actually, I should say I'm a co-producer of the show. You're a co-producer. I am a co-producer of that show, and I encourage you guys to check it out, gregandjennifer.com. Greg, thank you so much for coming and sharing your story on Podcast Answer Man. Cliff, I'm I'm humbled and honored, and, and again, thank you for being a friend. Podcast Answer Man.